It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Capital Club Radio, brought to you by Flock Specialty Finance. Please welcome your host, Chairman and CEO, Michael Flock. Welcome this afternoon to the Caribou Coffee Shop on the corner of Peachtree and Piedmont here in Atlanta, Georgia. Today on the Capital Club Radio Show, sponsored by Flock Specialty Finance, we are really honored and privileged to introduce Michael Coles. Michael is the founder of Great American Cookie. He was chairman and CEO of Caribou Coffee, former chairman of Brand Bank. He's also the namesake of Coles Business College at Kennesaw State. He was also former chair of the Georgia Film Commission and author of the new book, Time to Get Tough. In fact, I think he refers to it as TTGT in the book. That, that was a motivational slogan that he used in the past, and you're going to hear more about that in, in a few minutes. But in this book, he tells a lot about the stories of his false starts, painful defeats, but always turning trials into triumphs. So he's a great storyteller. We'll learn shortly about how he started the $100 million cookie company with only $8,000. It's amazing. Uh, and then also we'll hear about how he overcame a, almost a fatal motorcycle accident. We'll hear, too, about how he transformed Caribou Coffee and took it public. And then we're going to talk about his last five miles and what he's going to do for an encore. But, Michael, first, let's, let's talk about your biggest passion. I mean, I know you have a lot of passions, but your biggest one, at least according to this book, was cycling and the lessons that you learned in your transcontinental races, which seem like a metaphor for your journeys in business. So what does cycling have to do with business? What are some of the lessons from cycling that you applied in your life as an entrepreneur? Uh, well, first of all, thanks thanks for having me here today. Um, I don't know that we're going to get through all the things that you, <laughs> no, you said we were going to try to get through in the next uh, 30 minutes we'll or so. We'll have to do so. a sequel. But um, so I never imagined that, first of all, I never imagined as an adult I would ever become a cyclist um, because I, frankly, had not ridden a bicycle since I was 13 years old or 14 years old uh, until I had my motorcycle accident and I wound up using the bike. Uh, to rehabilitate. And that accident was six weeks after we started the cookie company. And it was pretty devastating because, uh, one, we'd have a lot of money, $8,000 to start the business. And here I was now on a walker for a very long period of time. And how old were you then? 33. 33 on a walker. Yeah, wow. I was on a walker. And I never expected that the cookie business was going to be my next real business after leaving the clothing business. 
but after my accident, I virtually could, couldn't do anything else. I couldn't, this is before the American Disabilities Act. Uh-huh. So you couldn't show up for a job interview in a walker no or crutches. So I wound up having to really focus on the business. But at the same time, uh, I focused on the business. I used the bike for aerobics because I couldn't run anymore. And so, uh, I started using a stationary bike and then started using a regular bike, riding longer and longer distances and eventually set three world records riding across the country on my bike. And the, and, and I didn't realize there would ever be any kind of correlation between riding that bike, my rehab and how it would affect my business. Like I knew that if I could Right, get across the race across the country that very first time, mm-hmm. I would feel like I got my physical life back. Right. But I didn't realize the effect it would have on my business life. And what I mean by that is, um, when I wrote the book, I remembered something that had happened in my third crossing of the United States that I frankly had never remembered. Uh, when we got to San Diego, my record is was then. I have two records: L.A. to New York and Savannah to San Diego. Am I? 84 crossing the Savannah to San Diego, we had horrible weather conditions. And so my crew uh, was not, we wound up, we couldn't get a police escort in San Diego because they didn't know when or if I'd ever get there. Mm-hmm. And so they sent the crew and the media people all to the courthouse. And a friend of mine, Dave Johnson, met me to take me the last five miles mm-hmm. uh, to the courthouse. And I'd only slept 22 hours in 11 days. And so um, I was pretty beat up from... 22 hours in 11 days. In 11 That's like days. two hours a day. It, well, yeah, it wasn't even really like that. But, <laughs> oh, um, but when we when but every time I had gotten off the bike during those 11 days, yeah. it was always my decision. We had had police escorts in every uh-huh. city. Uh-huh. But this time we were on our own, four water bottles and five miles to go. Right. And I honestly will tell you, this net, what I'm about to tell you, I did not remember until two years ago when we started writing the book. I literally woke up in the middle of the night, sat up in bed, and called my co-writer, Catherine Lewis, and said, Catherine, I've got a story to tell you. We're going to have to rewrite the book. And what the story was is that when I came to the first red light right. and I had to get stepped down, uh, my legs started to cramp. Okay. And all I could think was, this is this, this is not good. <laughs> when we came to the next red light, right. my leg cramped up so bad that I was literally afraid to get back on the bike because I was afraid I was going to fall over because right. my legs didn't work. And I remember, again, only having 11 hours sleep, turning to my friend Dave Johnson. I said, I don't think I can make it. And it was like I was speaking a foreign language. Uh-huh. And uh, he said, no, 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 we got to keep going. I said, all right, well, I'll, I'll try to make it to the next light. And I did that, and again, the next light, next light. Then I made the right turn onto Broadway towards the courthouse. There were people on the side were clapping, and they knew I was coming. The adrenaline kicked in, and obviously I finished and broke my record by over four days. But what I didn't realize until I remembered this, that every decision, even though I had never remembered it, that I had made since May of 1984 in business and probably in my life was all defined by those last five miles. Because what I came to realize 
is that it doesn't matter how many thousands of miles you ride. It doesn't matter how many weeks or months or even years you might put into something. It's the last five miles that count. You've got to finish mm -hmm. because if you don't finish, even if it's not the way you expected it to work out, you got to get past it to prepare yourself for the next five miles. Wow. You've got to finish, and that's the best preparation for the next five miles. And so that's what a lesson that you've applied, I guess, in your multiple careers that you've had. Well, think about how many things people want to do that don't go exactly the way they plan. They never go the way they plan. Exactly. You know, we started the cookie company. You know the story. I mean, we almost burnt down the mall the first day because we forgot something as silly as oven mitts. You know, <laughs> and here we had everything in our lives at risk. Right. And a three dollar set of oven mitts could have put us out of business. Right. So I've always believed that the difference between success and failure is how you how, how you, you deal yeah. with the unexpected. Uh huh. Right, and making sure that you finish those last five miles with preparation Absolutely. for the next. So that's a really good metaphor for, for how we're going to talk about your career. So you started in clothing when you were, frankly, you, were, you came from a poor family in Florida, right? Right. And so what, were the, what was the finish in clothing that got you into cookies? The well, last five miles of clothing that prepared you for the first five miles in cookies. Well, I guess the way the way to say that is I never expected to do anything but be in the clothing business. Right. Uh, I loved it. I mean, I really did. I had a real passion for it. I can tell with the uh, natty <laughs> outfit you're wearing today. Unfortunately, nobody can nobody see Nobody can it, see that. Well, we'll take a picture here. But anyway. <laughs> but um, so um, the clothing business, when I, I, I moved from the north to Atlanta, right. which is with the time, uh, the south was the hub of clothing manufacturing. And by the time 1977 had rolled around, most of the manufacturing was now in Asia. And I was had three small kids. I was traveling about three mm -hmm. days a week. And now that it was going to move to Asia, I was going to be like traveling three weeks a month. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't want to do that. I'm, I, I wanted to find something else within the business, right. in the clothing business, that, that would allow me to be home more. But in the meantime, till I figured that out, uh, I just, my wife and I decided we would open up a cookie store <laughs> and we wound up doing it with my, a friend of mine apart and became my partner. Is that and Irving? No, 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 no. This is, this is the cookie business. No, no. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. no, that was mentors. Arthur Carr. That's right. Arthur right. Carr. Right. And so Arthur, Arthur and his wife Susan, Donna and I started this business together, but literally. $8,000. Right. $8,000. We borrowed $25,000 uh -huh. from CNS Bank. Everyone was trying to discourage us from doing it. So CNS Bank is an example for us to get $25,000. They they not only uh, made us sign a personal guarantee, uh -huh. but they literally sent someone to the house to take an inventory okay. of all of our personal possessions so that when we failed, <laughs> they, could, they could just come and claim take, it. Take yeah. And we had to sign an inventory. A, a, a yeah. personal guarantee. Yeah, personal guarantee and sign the inventory right. saying that we assigned all of these assets to them when we failed. So this was like a loan to own. Yeah, it right. was. It was, it was. Other than the interest rate being kind of <laughs> lower, it was like it was like borrowing money from the mob. You know? Oh my god! So, yeah. um, but anyway, you know. So I I had risked everything, and and then I had my motorcycle accident, and that became my next five miles because I couldn't do anything else. Mm -hmm. I couldn't show up on. 
you can't go to an interview back then on a walk or on crutches. And you were in your 30s, right? I was 33. And I found myself having to really focus on the business. Mm -hmm. And I was still printing two years after we started the company. I was literally still printing my business cards 50 at a time, Mm -hmm. thinking I was going to be off somewhere doing something else. And after, I guess we had about 20 stores, mm-hmm. I literally woke up one morning and said, well, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I wound up falling in love with the business because what I realized, even though it was a sidestep from what I had done before, right. it's still business, it's still retail, right. it's still about taking care of customers. And I had learned all of those things. It, when in I was, clothing? In clothing. So that was the last five miles from clothing that you applied to the next five exactly. miles of cookies. Yeah, and the other okay. thing is is that the advantage we had in the cookie business, we didn't know anything about being a baker or being a bakery. We Basically, those stores could have just as easily have been selling clothing wow. and selling cookies. Lots of merchandise, lots of promotions, lots of smiling faces, lots of taking care of customers. So the customer so, experience was similar in clothing and cookies? Identical. Identical? How identical. so? How so? Because we were we were there to make sure it was not just about selling cookies. It was really about a total experience of having fun with cookies and, <laughs> and showing customers you appreciated them right. and inviting them to come back. And, you know, that's kind of been lost today in retail because mm-hmm. everyone's trying to scrape the last dollar out. Right. And in, instead of worrying about how customers are going to feel about that experience. I mean, we're sitting here at Caribou Coffee. And, yeah, it's great that people love the coffee and they come in. But if you look around, it's the atmosphere. It's the way they're treated at the counter. Right. It's a total experience that makes them come back. Uh-huh. So, so from the cookie business, let's see, you sold that, right, to what was the company that bought it? Uh, it was called the Jordan Company the out Jordan. of Chicago. That's right. Okay. And then you took those earnings to, I guess you started investing, but you also were hired by Caribou to be CEO, and I guess you had an interim period where you were kind of testing it out, and then you became the formal CEO and then later chairman, correct? No, I was, no, no what no. happened was uh, I did a originally did uh, a consulting project that's, for that's them. That's what it was. I'm yeah, sorry. consulting yeah. project for them, and basically came back to Atlanta mm-hmm. and told them that uh, they needed to make a change in management, that I was – I fell in love with the company. I mean, okay. it was like the – was it the culture that you fell in love with? Was it the brand? It was the fact that I realized that Caribou was a brand religion, that the customers who went to Caribou were extremely loyal. And I had never had an experience to ever run something that had that kind of Loyalty. evangelist following. Uh-huh. And so it intrigued me because during my consultancy, what I saw were people walking into Caribou's with caribou t-shirts, caribou hats. Mm-hmm. It's not unusual to see someone with a caribou mug or a Starbucks right. mug. But I never then or now have ever seen anyone wearing a Starbucks t-shirt <laughs> or a Starbucks hat. And so Starbucks in its own way is it's more it's because it's ubiquitous and they're everywhere. Right. Right. But caribou is more you have to seek it out. More of a niche. And it's it's a customer loyalty base that I had I had never seen. It's like Harley Davidson. 
you know, Harley Davidson was making a horrible motorcycle in the era to retool, mm-hmm. but its customers were so loyal. They were willing to buy this uh, inadequate motorcycle mm-hmm. because of the brand name that it had built. Apple was the same way. Mm-hmm. Apple was not up to speed to other companies, but the, but the loyalty by the Apple mm-hmm. uh, customer was extremely loyal, and Caribou was like that. So do you think Caribou had more loyalty than even Starbucks? No doubt. Really? No doubt. And what was it specifically I, about the culture of Caribou that, well, was, that created was, that stickiness? What so, was it? You know, I'm sitting here now, literally, uh, I left the company, I mean, I left the board after we sold the company, so I've been gone a long time. I'm still buying Caribou coffee, uh-huh. I, and honestly, I keep trying other kinds of coffee, right. because I keep thinking to myself, this is not about loyalty. This is about taste. Okay. And the caribou is a very unique product. Uh, it is a craft roasted coffee. Uh-huh. Uh, they, I mean, I've been down there watching it for years, how they do it. And um, you, I've never heard anybody ever say to me, I love Starbucks. <laughs> I know ne- I've never heard that, uh-huh. but People go there because it's extraordinarily convenient, and it's better than most coffee shops that are out there. Right. But caribou, but yeah. caribou is unique because people taste. go there yeah. because it is the highest quality of coffee I have ever had. So it wasn't just culture. It was also the product. Look, you got to do it all. Just yeah. like in my book, there's a formula. Yeah. Product plus environment right. plus service equals the experience factor. Right. You got to do all three all the time well, or the work. experience factor will not be there. Okay. So Caribou, that's what we put into place when I took over the company. We put that formula into place and we turned the company around. You had another formula, I think, with the four eyes. Yeah, the four eyes. Yeah. Improvement, innovation. No, 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 no. no in- I got- <laughs> informa- <laughs> information. Information. Improve Im- information, innovation, implementation, implementation, and then the last one, the most important one, is improvement. Improvement. Because remember, that's continuous, if, right? Well, yeah. Because if you do something innovative within an industry, right, and you launch it and it's great, that's your competitor's starting point, right? And so they didn't have to go through all the stuff you went through to get to that point. Right. But that's going to be their starting point. So you've got to constantly be improving on it. You cannot sit on, you know, rest on your laurels. Right. Right. That's exciting. Great story. Did you have any crises along the way, though, that, you know, as you said earlier, it never goes the way you think. So were there challenges at Caribou that you so, weren't expecting? So let me just- let me just say a couple of things about my book because it's it's relevant to our conversation. First of all, the title of the book is Time to Get Top, right. How Cookies, Coffee, and a Crash Led to Success in Business and Life. Right. I don't want it to be confused because there is another book called Time to Get Top. I know. I, yeah. I looked it up yeah. on Amazon. Yeah. Written by Donald, Donald Trump. Trump. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's a very different book. I'm sure. My book is very different. Yeah. But but my book, I never wrote this book to brag about my success. That was never the purpose of it. I really feel like I've been very fortunate with the success I've had. But I think it's a success that people can identify with. I wrote this book to try to get people to move out of their safe space mm-hmm. and do more than they think they can. That's why the last line of the book mm-hmm. is, I know you can do this because I did. Mm-hmm. And it's relatable. It's not so big mm-hmm. that people can't believe that they could do the same thing. I read lots of business books about lots of very successful people. Mm-hmm. 
And a lot of times the takeaway is, wow, that's unbelievable that they were able to do it. But it's so far beyond what I think I would be capable of doing. Right. And I know that that happens for people. That's why I think this book is relevant. I think people could read through it. You know, being in the cookie biz is almost like having a lemonade stand, for God's sake. <laughs> it is. And, and it's, it is relatable to people. And so uh, I've had... And most of the lessons in the book are all about setbacks. It's uh-huh. all about things that did not go right. Uh-huh. Bobby Jones, one right. of the great, the, probably the greatest amateur golfer that's ever lived, had a great line. He never learned anything from a golf tournament. He won. Yeah. So I think the book is full of all the things that I never expected that happened that did not go right. But we were able to figure out how to overcome it and learn from it and do better. Uh-huh. And a caribou, what, what's one thing that didn't go right that you learned from? Uh, my first day there. First day? <laughs> my first day there. Okay. When I got introduced to the team. Uh-oh. And I had had, um, I had, had literally four months to uh-huh. think about that first day right. because I, I was taking over uh, the company. And by the way, we, I didn't just run the company. I, I bought into the company. Right. And so I was a partner in the business. And so I had plenty of time to think about what I was going to say on that opening day. And here's what I said. I walked in, had a team of 21 uh, directors and senior directors. And my opening line was, I've been to 50 caribou coffees and I've yet to have a good experience. Oh, my God. (laughs) Now, what I meant to say was, I've been to 50 caribou coffees. And while I've had a good experience in some of the day parts, it was not consistent. Uh-huh. But together, right. we can we can make it consistent, and together we can build a great business here. We can go from good to great. Yep. But that's not what I said. <laughs> and and just like in the movie A Christmas Story, where little Ralphie gets out of the right. car to help his father change the tire, uh-huh. and he steps on the hubcap, oh, no. and all the nuts go flying up in the air, uh-huh. and Ralphie yells out, "Oh, fudge!" <laughs> But Ralphie doesn't say fudge. Uh, no, he I'm, says yeah. the queen mother of all cuss words. Yeah. I did that. That's exactly what. Because what I yeah. really meant to say was what I just said, and I didn't do it. So instead of winning this team over mm-hmm. on Alienate. the first day, yeah. it took me months uh-huh. to get them all on board. But once eventually they – and some people left, as yeah. you would expect. Sure. But um, eventually they came, we all came together as a team. And we built a great company together. Uh-huh. So it was building a team. Exactly. And making a mistake just as you were starting. Yes. So that was the trial. That, that was started. a big one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that may have been bigger than forgetting oven mitts. <laughs> uh-huh. And then you, how did you get into banking from coffee? Because uh, you were chairman of Brand Bank. Well, I was chairman of uh, Charter Bank. Charter, which a long, a long time. No, 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 no. Charter Bank. Is a bank I started with a group of guys from Marietta okay. uh, in 1987. We opened our doors in '89, and I got involved in that because, you know, I had I didn't have any real understanding of how banks made money. Uh-huh. Uh, I I knew that we had relationships with banks, and I knew that if they lent money to us, somehow they figured figuring out how to make money. Right. And I figured, what's a better way to learn than to become a you know get involved in a bank? So I invested in uh, Charter Bank, which we eventually sold our bank to Synovus. Uh, and it was fascinating. I was, never became a banker. <laughs> you don't seem like no, a banker. No, I was not yeah. a banker. But I, I was a big rainmaker. Uh-huh. I knew how to bring customers right. to the bank. Right. And I think I brought a sense of customer experience okay. to the bank. And um, I didn't, once we, when we sold that bank 
And then I eventually, uh, actually it was timing was perfect because it was around the same time that I went to run Caribou. Um, actually it was about the time I went to run the film commission. Uh, I left, I left the bank. I never thought I'd go back in the banking business, Mm -hmm. but you know, opportunity presented itself and I wound up going on the board of brand and Mm -hmm. then eventually became chairman. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was the same thing. I was a very good rainmaker. I brought a lot of business to the bank. The bank had a very good culture of working. It was a hundred. It was a hundred and seven year old bank when I got there, right. and so they had had a really good culture of taking care of customers. And and then the digital age, of course, now was upon us, right. and we worked together. And I think I was very helpful in continually figuring how do we make that experience better for customers. Mm-hmm. And eventually, we sold that bank. Right. So you applied some of the customer experience lessons. It's all retail. Care. Yeah, it's all retail. It was it's all, all retail. The same. Yeah. It's all. And then that whether you're a lawyer. But in the digital age, doesn't it change or not? Was changed. The customer experience with the digital age. Yeah, you should be able to make it better. Better. Yeah, online. you should be able to make it better. You can do. You can communicate with customers in a way today that you never were able mm-hmm. to do it before. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people get scared of it, mm-hmm. but they should embrace it and realize, you know what? We can do things that cost very little money right. because of, mm-hmm. of the internet and communicating with people through social media. Um, it's it's a different world, but in a lot of ways, the customer experience has not changed. Mm-hmm. It's just. It's just gotten better. Better, because you can touch more customers at lower cost. Right, exactly. And do it in a way that's almost automatic. Yeah, that's awesome. So following that, then I think you became one of the biggest donors and uh, benefactors to Kennesaw State, and you were the, became the namesake for the business college there. What's your vision for the business college at Kennesaw and how – you know, I guess that's the next five miles. I mean, how do you apply customer experience and the business lessons to Kennesaw? Well, I've had I've I've had very little to do with what's happened up at Kennesaw State University. I mean, other than the fact that um, I was chairman for five years, we 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 transformed during those five years. We started my board and I we started a, a process to change it from a commuter a commuter school to uh, a real university. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we built dorms, we built parking decks, and then Tommy Holder followed me and continued that. Norman Rado followed me after that. And the school is completely different than when I got there. Uh, The other thing I would say is that the business school, when we endowed the business school, my wife and I, I think there may have been 12,000 students on the campus. Today there's 38,000 students. And I have been very involved on the, I'm still on the board. Mm-hmm. I've been on the board since 1990. Um, and it's a, a long time. Yeah. But the university, one of the things I would say is that it has, it was always considered entrepreneur you at right. business school. Uh, they've always been concerned about giving students the best possible experience okay. in their education and help them in their future. And if you can't think of a university that ties more into my own philosophy, right. so it's always been a hand-in-hand partnership mm-hmm. that I've loved being involved in. I'm very, still very active on the board and look really to the future of the school getting better and better. I wouldn't say that it's about 
my my influence on, at the at this university. I would say that we have an incredible president now okay. in Pam Winton, mm-hmm. and uh, I've never known a president that is more focused on taking care of students mm-hmm. than she is. Mm-hmm. And I've had the opportunity to work with a number of presidents there, as well as presidents all over the country. She is unbelievable. And what is unique about, maybe it's not the customer experience, the student experience at Kennesaw that differentiates itself from other universities now? Well, first of all, I think the first step is that you want students to have uh, that experience. Uh, and then you have to think about what are the things you can do mm-hmm. that are different mm-hmm. than other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, there is... There's always activities going on on the campus, but when they talk about adding uh, faculty, mm-hmm. I mean, they try to bring in the best innovative faculty. They're not looking for the norm. They want things that are different, things right. that are going to uh, offer a student something that they can't get anywhere else. Right. That's that's how this university has become a world-class university. With the professors that it hires. Professors. Yeah. But the other thing is an involvement with students even after they graduate. Mm-hmm. Because the truth is, when you think about it, mm-hmm. faculty can only go so far mm-hmm. to to create a great university. Mm-hmm. It's really the product, which are the students, mm-hmm. that go out and do something with their lives okay. that actually are the reason that universities get better. Okay. If you, if you think about graduates of different universities, universities have incredible prestige. It's not because the university has the prestige. They do because they are the creator of the student that actually went out and made the, validated the, how great the university the was. was. Yeah, it's like anything else, just like a business, right? right. It's like something you manufacture. Right. It's not the name of the manufacturer no. that has created brand loyalty. It's the product that they've produced in the satisfaction that it has given people mm-hmm. that validates the brand. And differentiates the brand from every, everyone so, else. Yeah. So another connection in your business lessons from past experience, past five miles to the next five miles. Exactly. So it's a wonderful parallel. Well, Michael, thank you for these, these great stories of trials and triumphs. They seem never-ending. In your epilogue, in your book, You say that it's better to start risk-taking when you're young. However, you also say, on the opposite end of the spectrum, stay sharp, nimble, and relevant. Never rest on your laurels, because the hardest thing on your laurels is resting on them. So, let's get personal. Instead of resting on your laurels, who and where will Michael Coles be at the end of the next five miles? Can you give us a peek at your future as we wrap this up? Sure. Uh, I would say that... um Well, here, here's what I would say. I've had the wonderful opportunity um, to work in a lot, of the, in a, a lot in the nonprofit world uh, and try to make a difference in the lives of people I'll never meet. And um, so, right now, that's that's really what I'm focused on. Is there's really I haven't seen an opportunity yet in business that I would like to sink my teeth in. But on the other hand, I never saw caribou coming either. Right. So I assume if there's something out there that I'm supposed to do business-wise, it will it'll, it'll come along. 
Uh, but right now, my you know my efforts are to, are to continue to work in the things that I really care about that are basically in the nonprofit world. I do some consulting uh, to try to help. Right. Uh, I mentor right. several young people right uh-huh. now. Um, so I don't know what the next five miles brings, but you know, um, windshields clear. <laughs> and I'll, I'm looking forward to being able to take on whatever the future holds. So you've got plenty of lessons from the many last five miles to apply to your next five miles. And we look forward to your next book and maybe another interview here on Capital Cub Radio Show. Thank you very much, Michael Coles. Thank you. Thank you for joining Michael Flock and his guests on the Capital Club Radio Show. For more information on future interviews, please visit us at flockfinance.com. This program is brought to you by Flock Specialty Finance, where clients are provided knowledge and insights to help them grow their business in complex and risky markets. Flock is more than a transaction. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.